No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Recording this episode and the last episode, a full, actually two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. To come up with one. This is proud. not being recorded immediately I'm after the last proud. episode. I'm a busy woman. Red what rom. can I no, say? That's not it. Red Rom. Red Rom. Red Rom. It's good, babe. Mrs. Torrance. Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. <sighs> so, tonight we're covering a very special topic. Uh, my name's Alexa. Flex Lexa. Also known Generation Flex. As Flex Lexa and or Generation Flex. The Greyhound in Heels. The only woman who can beat up the man who plays the mountain on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. She is Mount Everest. He is Mount Winnebago. No, no, no. She's more like Mount Fuji because there's a bunch of people who died at her feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. It's true. I'm put that in the card. Guys, I want that on my tombstone at the time. It's gonna, your tombstone's gonna be so high. Yeah. It's just gonna be. You're gonna be the only one who can lift it. Can it a be one of one hundred scale. No, the opposite. A hundred to one scale. She's gonna be a hundred times bigger. Can it just be of my hand? And then it's gonna say grasp of the beast woman. Uh huh. And we're gonna hire somebody who looks like you to wear a all black wonderful dress and a black veil to occasionally walk around the graveyard at night so people think you're haunting it. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's gonna be so tall. Yeah. She'll be like the the female Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Female Slender Man. Louise Ferrigno. Slender Woman. Slender Woman. Okay. Across the table from me, in all his glory, holding a straight razor and making a menacing face, is Ben the Beard Out. I'm just smiling. I don't know what you're talking about. Before you started smiling, it was like a slow creep into a smile. Yeah, and you have a knife smile in your head. Don't put it on your tongue. Okay. And then to my right, the one, the magnificent. Dick Fetty. Dick Fetty. Hold on. Before we go any further, straight razors in mind, guess what I found out the other day? What? What? I already told you this, Flex. But Tenebrae, the woman that the person having flashbacks sees a bunch of times. Right. Not actually a woman. Transvestite. Huh. Yeah. Progressive. Hot training. Yeah. Hot training. And that's pre-op, never did op. Wow. Would tap. Yeah. Would tap. We should find them and get them on the Tell me I'm wrong. No, I just... She's a good-looking tranny. I'm grimacing at your use of the word tranny. (laughs) What's the trans person? Hot trans. Well, maybe we can get her on for an episode. And then maybe, as bonus content... Yeah, subscribe to our Patreon. She'll let us blow her. Is that your dance cap? Yes. So what are we reviewing tonight, guys? We are reviewing... Every season of Reba. (laughs) So we are reviewing The Witch by director Robert Eggers. Which I love. (laughs) See what I did there? Woo! Woo! Wait, I don't get it. 
He said which. I, I said which. Which yeah, I love. Oh, that's smart. I believe The Witch was his debut film, although looking at IMDb, I see a Hansel and Gretel 2007 and The Telltale Heart, a short from 2008, but I think those are like student films and not major productions. Correct. Um, now, I believe I was the first one who saw this movie out of any of us. Yeah, that is that is accurate. So The Witch is from 2015, and Ben saw it first. He told me that I would like it and we should watch it. I heard good things about it on the internet, on the on special interests and elsewhere. I also heard negative things about it and felt mixed. And my aversion to all things new and enjoyable waited several years to watch it. And for whatever reason, it wasn't until last summer in my apartment that we watched mm-hmm. it together, Flex and I. And I don't know what spurred me. Something something like Be In My Bonnet downloaded it. We watched it that night. Although the original download we got was uh, had hard-coded Chinese subtitles. <laughs> so that was the last thing. And then we got a better dub. So. Yeah, and I will say, it scared the shit out of Dick Fetty. Yeah. He, for several nights afterwards, was afraid a witch would come into his bedroom and grab his feet. Well, I lived next to the woods. You lived next to literally three feet of woods. You could walk through the woods to a street in in three easy strides. It was more than enough for a witch to have a hobble. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's a good. one stride hobble. A lean to, if you will. Is that is that uh, racist? I feel like lean to is now racist. Can I say that? A lean to. A witch's lean to. A L W L T. Um anyways, yeah, no, well. So I don't normally go in for supernatural bugaboos, but between the way the film was shot and what supernatural <laughs> <Bugaboos>. bugaboos? <laughs> That's a phrase. Yeah, That's a that word. scientific terminology for scaredy scares. For uh, spooky McSpooksters. <laughs> yeah, for spooky witches. Anyways, yeah, I thought it was an effective horror film because I didn't know what to expect. I certainly didn't expect it to be that good, and I rarely ever get scared of anything other than, you know, the crippling state of the, like, just general fear of the world yeah. and, and, the, and the pain. And the Revenant makes you want to kill yourself. That's, that's, that, yeah, I celebrate. That's fine. Su- suicidal, well, you know what, let's <laughs> Well, here, here's the interesting thing is, a movie made him fear for his life. Truly. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it scared, it did, it scared the shit out of me. It didn't scare me. At all. She didn't really like it. I loved it. I was... I loved it too. Uh, it's like a, a witch had cast very, a spell on me. Very good period piece. I think it really captures the um, religious insanity of the time. It also has Anya Taylor Joy, who I believe the last time we watched it, I paused for a second to look up her age, and then was like, "Yes, she's very attractive." Mm. Yeah, how old is she? Well, she's no. in her twenties. She looks young. She does look young. She was probably 18 when the movie came out. Um, she was also in Split, and she was excellent in that. She was all Yes, she was also in Split. She was in another movie I watched recently called Thoroughbreds, which was pretty okay. Nice. That's a ringing endorsement. So, what did we think on our, what, this is, I think, my fourth, fifth viewing of The Witch? Yes. Yes. Because we watched it, then we watched it last year for our, our Halloween party. I watched it... One more time with you, maybe? And then we watched it again tonight. Together, yeah. yeah. So, four times a week. I really liked it the second time I saw it, more than I liked it the first time. It just didn't spook me, like, at all. Yeah. Um, but the acting's really good. 
Um, all the kids in it are really good. They, yeah, the acting's fantastic. I think that generally the story is compelling because you can you can see it as any kind of horror you want. It could mm-hmm. be metaphorical, it could be literal, it can be a lot of things in between. You know, I don't really believe in Satan or God or the supernatural or whatever, but it works. It, the, in the universe that it creates, it, it all makes sense to It me. does very well at world building with very little mm-hmm. to work for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think it, it, you know, for American viewers especially, although I think those European viewers who also come from histories with, or from countries that have a culture of like witches, witchcraft, mm-hmm. supernatural, it speaks to an, a sort of like, I think it effectively portrays the way we assume older times were and how the supernatural was so much more possible when there was so much more magical thinking and there weren't the level of science in the world that we have today. And I think it speaks to on like a general Indo-European sort of cultural heritage that we all have and plucks it fears in a way that is super effective and like speaks to our genetic memory at this point as far as, you know, afraid of the dark, afraid of the woods, afraid of harm to your children, afraid of... And it's also a fear of persecution, a fear of not being able to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, Betrayal. Right. And for anyone who has never heard of the movie or seen from the movie, just quick synopsis, essentially a Wait. family... Spoiler alert? No, I'm not going to give away anything. Yeah, just I, don't, like I don't want to talk about... The very beginning. Yeah. Just like, so it's about a husband, a wife, they're, I guess she was she, like 16, the daughter at the time? Um, they have one son who's like 12 or 13, and they have two younger twins. And a baby. And a baby. And they are moved out, they, they move out into the wilderness of America to get away from the town they were living in for some kind of persecution, yeah, whether it be... They were essentially excommunicated yeah. from their church. Yeah, and in the very beginning, it's kind of, it's one of those movies that you benefit from having subtitles or just <laughs> watching it twice. Like, the first time watch it without subtitles, the second time watch it with it and pick up the... The accents are quite thick. Yeah, it's a little brutal, but basically, in the beginning, they're like, we're, we really don't want to excommunicate you, but the pride of the father forces them into exile and his family goes along and something that's given away in the trailer so it's not really a spoiler if you watch the trailer um they the baby disappears and then ensues the horror yeah and it's it's really i don't think we need to say more than that it is highly recommended five stars for me i'd give it a 11 out of 10 i it's as far as Horror movies go in the past couple of years. I mean, it's up there with It Follows, and what's the other one we like? Uh, well, I, I, ab- honorable mention. I absolutely loved uh, Hereditary. Oh yeah, I, I loved Hereditary. But there was another movie that came out before Hereditary recently. But anyways, it, as far as the modern wave of horror goes, it does. It does it all right. It's it's the I li- I think I don't know that I like it better than it follows, but I might at this point. I think I think it, it took a chance. That you were like, I don't know if I like it better, but yes, actually I do. No, I said I might. He's not sure. It's a gray area. Um, they're they're different. It's one of those movies and we've remarked on this before that it is not just a good horror movie, but is a good movie and it took a chance making a period piece because I've seen a lot of period piece horror that's 
stupid. Yeah. To put it bluntly. Yeah, um, it's a chance for costuming and little else. Yeah, and I feel as though they captured the period and how people could be back then very, very well. And it's a beautiful movie, and everybody should watch it. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I'll say that I just love, I guess coming from partially an art house background, is it's all natural lighting. Yeah. Any movie that uses natural lighting is generally leaps and bounds above any other. It's just, it's just the way to go. So. Yeah, it, it was an excellent film. What do you give it? What are you rating it? I would give it um, nine point five bonnets out of ten bonnets. Splitting hairs. I'd give it a hundred out of a hundred witch boobies. I love that fucking movie. Yeah. And I will sing its praises to the day I die, which hopefully won't be in the woods. Uh, associated with a witch. Mm. Truth. Well, it's time for Fetty's Disco Box. Go ahead, sir. Dazzle us with your disco discs. So two weeks ago, and not earlier tonight, I mentioned in my last disco box, Mortician's Chainsaw Dismemberment. And Mortician represent a very specific style of horror-oriented death metal of the more brutal and less sophisticated. They are they are the Texas Chainsaw equivalent of death metal. Although that's not even really true, they're more of... Texas Chainsaw 2. No, no, they're not that bad, but they're they're not, there's actually a decent amount of subtlety and dread and atmosphere building in, a decent, there's an insane amount of it in the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whereas Mortician are like, just a non-stop carnage of what would be a movie, not a Hellraiser per se, they're not gothy and... Ugh. You ever see the movie Rampage? Yeah, like Rampage, or Maniac. Yeah. They are, they're, they're that. And uh, this, this first recommendation is another side of that horror metal that is you know it's based in horror movies as its its primary influence but it achieves different results through very different means I uh, am talking about the seminal I think I could say seminal at this point so yeah anyways uh, the 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 band from Finland Hooded Menace and their fourth album, Darkness Drips Forth, is specifically the one I'm recommending tonight. So I was a fan of the band since 2011 when I saw them at Maryland Death Fest, my first trip to Death Fest. Hashtag humblebrag, am I right? Yeah. I can live with that. (laughs) Um, I hadn't heard them before I went, and I thought that they were, like, about wearing hoodies and, like, being menacing, like like boys uh, in the hood or something. Something, something much different than they were, and was wildly and pleasantly surprised when I saw them live. Though the guy does wear a hoodie, which is not really. It's not like a like a cloak with a hood. No, he's just oh. like a he's a he's an older Finnish dude with a bald head who wears a hoodie. So it's not really menacing. But anyway, they um, I got in, into them then, and then I enjoyed their third album, Effigies of Evil, which was I think their relapse debut of Memory Serves, but they sort of had cleaned up their sound a little bit and, and there was even more melodicism. And basically the, the style of Hooded Menace is kind of like a little bit of Asphyx, a little bit of Pentagram, 
they have this, it's a death metal with a lot of doomy sections and then some really bright leads and, and the occasional harmony, but mostly just melodic guitar playing that kind of go create a nice contrast between the slows and, and the, the melodic highs. And they have a lot of samples of different horror movies within their songs, much like Mortician. But they, the band takes their name from the Tombs of the Blind Dead series, the Spanish horror films about the Knights Templar who return from the dead to kill hot Spanish and Italian actresses in various states of undress. And so they're like these hooded Templars who wear these cloaks, yada, yada, yada. But anyways, I sort of fell off after Effigies of Evil, and when Darkness Drips Forth came out, the artwork is by Justin Bartlett, and it looked really cool. It's a way less pulpy comic and way more like legitimately grim looking artwork that is kind of like these rancid depictions of the blind dead. But for whatever reason, I just never checked it out. And I think it was in part because it was only four songs and it seemed like a shift in tone phase, whatever. And I was like, it just can't be that good. I finally kind of listened, well, I didn't kind of, I listened to it earlier this week and was blown away by the album because they have essentially taken away so much of the pulpy horror aspect and vibe and replaced it with a much more serious and truly not macabre is a little bit strong but a much darker tone to the whole thing and a lot like where it was rocking before it's replaced by a sort of eeriness and a better and more efficient use of atmosphere so i was i really didn't know what to expect or expect to like it all that much and I thought like kind of in a certain way it's like their best album it's different and if you come in looking for this sort of uh, Hammer Films, Howling Moon style horror, you're going to get something that's way more serious, it's way closer to The Witch than it is to like The Fall of the House of Usher and, or Pit in the Pendulum and, and that's really, I wanted to briefly mention sort of like Mortician is this kind of 70s, 80s slasher vibe to a lot of what they do, whereas Hooded Menace are way more like Universal Monsters, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff. Like, the classics, but never really scaring you, you know? They just, they're just, but it's like a, it's a nice classic epic vibe. And now this is like, this is way more like what Tombs of the Blind Dead would have been done if it wasn't a B-movie made in the 70s in Spain. And uh, yeah, so I, I gotta give that a really big recommendation. I don't actually own a physical copy yet, which feels almost like cheating doing this um, disco box recommendation, but I will be grabbing one as soon as possible. We're on the other end of the spectrum, but also sort of metal, is Flooded Church of Asmodeus, which is a sort of Finnish supergroup made up of Harold Mentor from Ride for Revenge, Pazzi Markula from Bizarre Uproar. Now the guy from Hail Conjurer is in the band as the bass player. It used to be the bass player for, uh, or I think rather the drummer for Ride for Revenge, but they swapped people out more recently, I think on the 2016 album. But anyways, I wanted to recommend the, the their first proper album, Satan's Punishment, The Ooh. Ultimatum, uh, which is a CD on Bestial Burst that came out in 2012. And I originally got, heard this band when their first demo came out. I got it from Bestial Burst. The samples online are like, really weird it's this black noise quote unquote but it's it's sort of like black metal themes mixed with satanic sampling of like all these old satanic films and like but again some of this fall of the house of usher like old school horror film shit and then 
grindcore drumming that's just like super fast and then vocals that just sound like which to me was like oh this is super cool i really like this yeah and then the 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 the, the riffing is all just like noisy nightmarish and so the the demo is like a ton of songs most of them are a minute or so long half of them are samples it's a lot like mortician in that sense um, and then there are a couple like really long songs where they slow it down and make it way doomier and have less feedback and screeching. And since one of the guys is a sort of Finnish harsh noise superhero, as I talked about in the last two, or I guess a couple episodes ago, and the other two guys are connected with that noisy scene and all the rest, it's not surprising that this is some weird shit. But when I got the CD, the, the official album, I just like never really listened to it, I guess. And I recently came up and I was like, oh, give this a check out. This has been, well, it's been six years since I probably listened <laughs> to it. And I put it on and it's really good. It still doesn't quite hit the heights for me of the demo, just because the demo is just so, such an aggressive onslaught. But there are some really killer tracks on this one. And I believe it's the fourth track that's like the satanic orgy goat something or other where it starts off with a sample from Black Candles or Lucifer's Black Candles where this woman's talking about like witnessing a billy goat mount a woman and deposit semen and then like making a potion with the semen and stuff. And then it just like kicks into this like doomy track where instead of a guitar sound, it's just the sound of like, what sounds like a guitar being like stabbed in the electronic part of it. And it's just like, and like just, just bass shit and like rolling drums and vocals on top of it and it's enough to drive most men insane. I quite like it. It's really good. <laughs> very sticky music. Very, very goat semen sounding. Goat uh, semen. So I gotta, I gotta recommend that one. They recently had their most, uh, the most recent album was just reissued on Final Agony Rex, uh, which is like total Holocaust to those who turn the other cheek. Colon some subtitle. Colon some other subtitle. That's too long for me to remember. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, they're they're legit. All their albums are yellow and black. It's just like piss covered, piss vibe. Like, oh man, pretty good stuff. Uh, and then somewhat related to the same is Ritual Violence, which is another semi supergroup of noisers. It's Bizarre Uproar, aka Pazzi Markula, Harold Mentor from Ride for Revenge Again, and then D Dweller of Endless Graves from Reptile Womb, who's an American. And they came together to make this two track album that's like both songs are one's 18 minutes the other one's 22 and then there's they're very it's very similar to flooded church but they all contribute vocals they all contribute noise it's just these like massive slabs of grinding starts with samples gets into like a sort of pseudo metal whatever area and then ends with like straight up harsh noise um that was just re-released on vinyl by legion bloton from 2000 uh, this year like a month ago or even a couple weeks ago at this point um and then originally came out on bestial burst and filth and violence in 2015 and that one is fucking killer um it's sort of falls into what i like to call scumcore which is this mixture of black metal and harsh noise noise rock sludge metal this this it's mostly Finnish and it's mostly like a lot of Pazzi Markula pro projects sort of fall into this area, but it's, it's, you can't really classify it as any one genre, and it's such a misfit that, like, most people who are into, like, proper black metal are like, this is horrible shit. Most people that are in noise are like, why are there drums and guitar? And everybody else that's not an idiot is like, this is fucking sick. And the, <laughs> art, the artwork for it is like a 70s, I'm sure it's taken from either, like, a novel or a, 
movie, but it's some woman like screaming with her tits out, but it's like all hand drawn, like a shitty 70s movie cover. And then like these dudes in like sort of the uh, blind dead Templar robes, you know, and, and then there's another girl in front of them and they're like judging her and then it says like <laughs> satanic rock music on it. Like, wait, hold on. Like all this violence, and it's just like these two guys are just like, she's really let herself go. <laughs> she used to be such a nice girl. I'll show you. I mean, they are. Look, they're judging. They're judging the shit out of her. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. And that one chick's got vampire teeth. I guess she does. This guy is just—is he just wearing a T-shirt? It's jacked. Yeah, Jack Sparrow. No. Oh, I'm not. No, Huge jacked man. So yeah, it's all it's all finished. Whoops, this week. Uh, <laughs> not not surprising. I really do love the Finns and their music, but yeah, I mean, good 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 shit. And, and I guess just a little quick recommendation. I played with Reptile Womb opening for Ride for Revenge in June, and awesome live show he, he doesn't have a ton of stuff out he's got a cd on bestial burst that's really good and then a couple tapes which are basically all live performances put to tape awesome projects and really nice to hear this sort of horrible unclassifiable noise shit coming out of the u.s by somebody who just does it like really gets it and doesn't just copyright revenge and doesn't just copy like gonculator or flooded church or any of the other more prominent bands, like has his own vibe, but also does a lot of stuff with the Finnish guys and, and comes up with some really good shit. So highly recommend anything by Reptile Womb as a side note. And obviously Ride for Revenge fucking rule and would highly recommend everything that they've put out. And Bizarre Uproar, if you're in for that really hateful shit, is the bomb. So those are my disco box recommendations. Try to dance, but I doubt we'll be able to. But, and, 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 and let me just repeat. Fucking this darkness trips fourth album I heard in minutes is like exceptionally fucking awesome. If you wrote them off before as a band that's just all about horror but nothing substantive or whatever, like give it a second listen because this this is that good shit. Is it a bad thing if they're just about horror? Well, no, but you know some people. It's weird. Like Mortician was always a band for a long time I couldn't get into because I was like, oh, it's all about horror. All it is is every song is a sample as long as the song itself, and it's just about horror and shit. And then one day, like, was, you're an idiot. You love horror. Let's listen to this again. What am I, mi- like, I'm not missing anything. This all makes sense to me now. I think you can, I think that the source material that these bands use, especially in samples, can really transcend, like, the source itself when it's used in conjunction with the material. You know, to me, Mortician is the kind of stuff that if I was 17 and, like, I smoked a bunch of PCP and crack, like, I could go kill people in a cabin, too. Or if it's Hooded Menace, like, I could definitely smoke a bunch of weed and think about zombie skeletons and, and while I've done that. But I don't know what my point was there. But, like, the, the samples, they, they add an element to the tracks that give them weight. They don't make it more juvenile. They make it better, in my opinion. And that's it for Dick Fetty's Disco Box. <laughs> back! Back! Good, love it. Okay, well. Okay. You boys ready? I am super duper ready. So, 
One of the reasons we reviewed The Witch tonight is because this week's topic is... Not about Torso, which is bullshit. And we should have reviewed Torso. Fleetwood Mac. The Salem Witch Trial. <gasps> the Blair Witch Project. No. Salem Witch Trials. We, we told you that we might eventually possibly do an episode about it, and here we are, so delivering on all of our promises. The timing couldn't be better. Um, I'm going to host this week's episode. Well, um, I think it would have been better if we were there during Blair Witch Trials. That's true. If you say I mean, Blair Witch one more I, time. No, it's like a mental block. <laughs> I just keep thinking of the Blair Witch. The, the, the Salem. Salem Witch. Yeah. So, um, I'm currently taking a class on the Salem Witch Trials from both a gender and criminal justice perspective. Sounds sexy. It is fucking phenomenal. All the source material is super cool. They have a website, um, salem.lib.virginia.edu. Jesus fucking Christ. Which has all this amazing archival stuff, like handwritten documents, all scanned, and you can view it, and... So before I start any of this, I want to give a big shout out, even though she'll never hear it because it'll probably hurt my academic career, to Dr. Gail Caputo, who is my professor for this class, and also just an amazing fucking professor in general, um, who organized the class. It's our first time ever doing it, and I'm learning a lot. That being said... One of the tens of people who listen to our podcast is going to reach out to her and be like, oh, She would honestly think it's... It's cool. She's a, she's a really cool chick. Well, we haven't talked about our crippling drug addictions in some episodes. No. Although, I guess I did talk she about that. She knows I'm before. in recovery, though. So. Anyway, I'm did talk about halfway a little bit. through the class. So. So, this episode's going to be halfway good. No, well, I'm just saying I, I'm going to do an overview and I'm going to tell you what I know. And I, I basically know from start to finish. I know a lot about the afflicted girls, I know a lot about the. Accused. I know a lot about the tensions that led up to the events. Um, when do we get to tits you, bush? She's got her. She got tit in her name. <laughs> yeah, she does. Can I, can I ask you two important questions? Yes. Uh, first one: Are witches are are witches real? Uh, that's up for interpretation. Second question: Follow up question: Is witch magic real? Uh, again, I would say up to your own personal interpretation. I love the idea that we've done so much scholarly research on this and. Like, it just was a bunch of witches. Like, there's, that's what it was. <laughs> they worshiped Satan, and they got what they deserved. Yeah. Follow-up follow up question. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a witch? 100%. You are wearing a pointy hat. Now, follow-up question okay. to Ben's question. Did the witches wear pointy hats in Salem times? Or Blair Witch times? Some of them. Uh, actually, none of them were depicted as having pointy hats. Fifth question, and last question. Yes. Do you want to have it? Do you want to have uh, it? I had another question. It's, it's okay. kind of a two-part world in the one. Two more questions. Okay. Ben. Okay, this will kind of one. Um, did witches wear skimpy outfits and be involved in premarital sex? Uh, no. Next question. To really? Both? To both. Witches never had premarital sex. I'm not saying That's that happened, surprising. but it's not an outstanding characteristic of witches. Mm. So that's a win in Alexis column for not being a witch. Uh, have you heard of the band Salem's Pot? I have not. Have you... End of question. No. I said I would take two more questions. Yeah, I wasn't done with question. <laughs> hey, hold on, hold on. One more thing. <laughs> no! Do you really want to hurt Can me? I start this episode? Yeah. So, um... They're, they're a really good band. They are. There's... I agree. 
a bunch I want to go over. Um, so first off, this was, this all started in January of 1692 and ended in, I want to say, uh, July of 1692. So this all happened extremely, extremely fast. Um, by which time standards or by time standards? So basically from January to August. Okay. Um, hot season. Well, cold to hot. Cold to hot. Yeah. Some okay. Even say that, that could be the, the coldest month of the year. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the subtitle of the episode, cold to hot. So essentially, this was a, um, a time in Puritan New England where, you know, mass hysteria swept the, the town and took over. And it's really important to understand, first off, that Puritans suck. Puritans were a very interesting people. So I think we have this. This nature, this thing about Puritans, and I, I watched this great C-SPAN um, thing, which dispelled the five top myths about um, Puritans and Salem witch trials and stuff. Can you start us with that? I'm not going to start with that because I can't remember all of that. But I will say this: one thing that was so rare about the Puritans is that they're seen as being a very pious, and they were, but very no restrained, restrained, restricted, really like buckles, very hard on each other. Um, so hard when in fact they were an extremely passionate people. So they were passionate about marriage. They were passionate about God. They were passionate about love. And that's part of what made them so weird in England. And part of why they wanted to come settle over here because people were like, what are with these people that are like so up in arms about loving life? So they were like a happy people, a loving people, a passionate people. Which, and you have to remember that post, well, during and post English Civil War, nobody was happy. Being happy was yes. not the normal thing. Yeah. It was a miserable time. That's where we get Hobbes from. You know, Leviathan, the, the idea of authoritarian rule is a must for the, the brutish and short life of man otherwise. I mean, it rains constantly over there. Well, and it's just it's just filled with Protestants and Catholics. Bad yeah, days. and it was also of the time where the, um, the, the state religion from the Church of England was changing rapidly um, because to fit, the needs of to, fit the, to fit the needs of the monarch. So Protestants were allowed to be open, and then... Um, you know, another monarch would come in and say, no, we're Catholic, so Protestants would have to practice in secrets. And Puritanism, which is, you know, an offshoot of Calvinism, um, they, they wanted to express freely. That being said, they didn't come, and another one of the myths was, they didn't come to America to practice freedom of religion. It they wasn't like... Fuck. It wasn't like they came here to spread the... Yes, they came here to fuck. To spread the idea that everyone in America should have the right to practice any religion they want openly. They believed that Puritanism was the only way to correctly celebrate God. So they weren't like, free religion for all. They were like, no, we want to freely practice the right religion and you all should practice the right religion too. Now, now I'm going to do this last aside. This is, I think, fair to say, this is going to be a crash course mm -hmm. in what happens. Yes. And I... We won't be going into the origins of Puritanism nope. or the origins of Calvinism nope. or Luther's edict or anything like that, right? We're not going to go. No, we're not going into that, and we're also. I'm also not going into, um, you know, the the politics outside of Salem Village and Salem Town at the time, because okay. there was a lot of 
war. There was like a lot of Indian war. There was an, another. See, I'm not very. There was another war that happened before this, and it all sort of. I'm not doing that either. I'm really going to talk about the political tensions of Salem Town versus Salem Village, and a bunch of other stuff that led up to it. And where's Salem now? So Salem Town is. What was Salem Town? It is Salem, Massachusetts. Okay. Salem Village is where the witch trials occurred, and that is current day Danvers. Um, so let's talk about some of the social tensions that caused the witch trials to happen. Okay? Brief crash course. On crash some course? Crash, crash course. We're going to eat. Cra- crash, crash course. Crash. Crash course. Crash course. More I say it. We, we should have practiced our Boston accent. Yeah, we should have. Cat. Park the cat in Hobbit Square. Man, that wasn't good. Sorry. More like autistic. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a fucking cop? Yeah. yeah. Are you a fucking cop? Are you a cop? Are you gonna stop doing drug deals with your idiot cousin? Okay. Oh, no, that was very Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I that was my best. I got cousins in Boston. You they're, do. They're good people. You do. I've been to Boston once. I've been to Salem multiple times. I well for Halloween. Somebody <gasps> get this guy a ribbon because he Man. won the Salem Award. We should, we should just give you a whole new segment called Dick Fetty's Humble Brags. <laughs> Dick Fetty's Interjections. Uh, actually, I've been to Salem more. Uh, I haven't seen a witch when I've been to Salem, <laughs> so I doubt the little be. Okay, so these are some of the societal uh, and social stuff that led up to the witch trials happening, right? Yeah, let's get to the real poop here. So there's social tensions. Huh. Salem Town and Salem Village are basically warring factions at this point. Salem Town and Salem Village came up being very prosperous. Salem Village was for farming. Salem Town was a port city. Um, What's a port city? A port, like oh. seaport city, right? So oh, for like boats. Yeah. Like porches. Yeah. That porches. They're awesome. Full of <laughs> porches. So it's where they built the first port. <laughs> around this time. In 1692, Salem Town was only getting more prosperous, uh-huh. while Salem Village's wealth had started to yeah, plateau. They're, they're dirt people. Yeah, okay. You can only farm so much. Exactly. So, so Salem, Salem, not Village. What was the other one? Salem Town. Salem Town's all like, ST. look at those villagers over there. You just fuck them, man. They're doing so good. I hate them. Yeah. We, all we got is boats. They've got like carrots. Mm-hmm. Hate it. Right. So. <laughs> So dramatic reenactment. It was also like very important that you belonged to the local church. Um, so Salem Village had uh, I can't remember what year, but had sort of um, petitioned for the right to have their own church established in their town that they could go to. So there's two main families. There's the Porters in Salem Town, mm-hmm. and there's the Putnams in Salem Village. Putnams. These are the the high status families of each town they're sort of at odds with each other Seth Putnam from Adolph Cunt was he a Putnam from Salem Village? that would be cool if he was but I don't know he's dead oh he's a shit <laughs> okay so I, I have a quick question yes were they like pretty much like next to each other or was there like a good amount of like traveling distance between them they were next to each other okay so, so like, they were both wide and like but they were they shared a border so they technically didn't need their own church they didn't but they saw themselves as separate from salem town and wanted their own church they're just getting all ritzy with their farm money right yeah. they didn't have a lot of farm money so the putnams in an effort to um you know sort of remain control over the town and help help the village maintain its own autonomy, started bringing in ministers 
and the ministers are paid by the villagers through wood, through different stuff, and the villagers are just getting like um, more, more angry and more angry because they're they're not making the money they used to. Um, so every minister that's brought in, they're sort of having a bad reaction to. Um, so let's <laughs> let's also talk about how how Massachusetts Massachusetts Bay Colony was unique in the sense that everyone had an English appointed governor who came over from England and ran the colony. That was like the whole deal. Massachusetts Bay sort of slid under the radar and ran under its own rule from 1629 to 1685. Um, Those sneaky Yeah, so they're like doing their own thing. They're electing their own um, government. Separation of church and state was a thing. They, like if you were excommunicated from the church, you could still hold public office. But that being said, they were very tied together in a lot of ways. So, in 1985, they get an English-appointed governor, Governor Phipps, and... Phipsy. Yeah, P-H-I-P-S, Phipps. And so, both Salem Town and Salem Village are, like, losing their autonomy, and they're, like, feeling a lot of political tension, and they're afraid of what might happen if they get an English-appointed governor. So that's adding tension to it. So, Paris. Um, does, it, does anybody know Hilton. the name Salem, Samuel Paris? Hilton. No. Does it? Do you guys know anything about him? Okay. So he, in November of 1689, is named the new minister of Salem. And he moves to Salem from Boston. Um, He was a merchant in Boston and decided to be a minister and came down there. He was brought in by the Putnams. Basically, like, please, we're, we're struggling with leadership right now. We need you to come in. Paris moves in. Um, with his uh, wife, with his daughter Betty, Elizabeth Betty Paris, and their niece Abigail Williams. So they're a high status. Why do I know Abigail Williams? Oh, you'll you'll realize. Okay. She I'm dated her in college. <laughs> I never dated an Abby. Yeah, you said no. You dated an Abigail though. You were very drunk. A lot of the time. Yeah. And you just ended up in Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> So Paris comes in, and almost immediately it's a bad situation for him. He's under a lot of stress to maintain, like, the people of Salem Village and keep them, you know, coming to church and keep them, you know, on task. But they're all pissed off, and they don't, they're, like, sick of the leadership consistently changing, and they are refusing to pay his salary. So Paris is living in, like, this ice-cold house because he has no wood, his wife is sick, and he's just getting, like, more pissed and more pissed. And he's going to the church, and he's like, there's a war with Satan coming, and you guys need to get on your shit, because Satan's going to come here. He's going to fuck you up. So he's, like, really instilling in these people that there is an upcoming war with Satan. Between the pressure... He's trying to pack the pew. Yeah. Before the, between the pressure he had to be a good minister and the fact that his home life is kind of falling apart, yeah. um, and the pressure from Putnam, Thomas Putnam, kind of being like, Mom, you gotta you gotta do something here. We gotta hey, do this. Yeah. The kids yeah, yeah, times I had someone run into my town and tell me there was a war on Satan coming. Yeah. Plus, so religious interpretations. Also, keep in mind the supernatural in 1692 was a fact. Witches existed. Satan existed. Magic existed. Like 
the deific version of Satan, like a like an actual entity. Satan. Absolutely. Satan was not only like a guy with hooves and a sick guitar, mm-hmm. but he also was like a guy who could make stuff in your house, do things you didn't want to do. Yeah, and most notably, Satan would witches were servants of Satan, so they were seduced by Satan to do his bidding, sign his book, the Devil's Book. He um, he had familiars, dogs, cats, toads, hogs. These were known animals. To, yes, these were known to be his familiars. So like, and if you know, if you remember from the witch, they they use a familiar for part of their plot, which I thought was really interesting. And there's some other awesome like I ideological stuff that happens to see in the big end of the witch. Everybody should just go watch the witch. So we've got social tensions between two warring families and two warring towns. We've got loss of autonomy from a new governor coming in and saying, actually, you guys aren't going to do this anymore. I am. You've got a, a struggle of wealth between the two towns. You've got religious interpretations of what's going on. Another big thing that allowed the witch trials to happen was the use of spectral evidence. So without spectral Ooh. evidence, it's almost certain that no one would have been executed. It's almost certain. The trials may have happened, but no one would have been executed. What is spectral evidence? So spectral evidence is essentially evidence um, that cannot in any way be proved wrong. So her specter visited me in the night. She pinched me. She prodded me. These girls are having fits, and they're like, there's your evidence. There's the truth right well, there. She came in my house. So, she put a finger in my bottom, kicked my cat. So, but to put it in more of a legalese mm-hmm. kind of a thing, it's basically hearsay of the highest order. Mm-hmm. So hearsay is evidence. Like if you offer hearsay and you say such and such said to me this, and that's how I know that he did that. And it's hearsay because it's what somebody said to you. And if they're not there to be cross-examined, the person who allegedly said whatever thing to you, then it's unfair to the person who's on the shit end of that statement to not have a chance to defend themselves or defend themselves against the person who allegedly made the remarks. So hearsay is not normally allowed into evidence unless there are certain underlying factors that would make it more trustworthy. Like if it was an excited utterance where they said like, Oh, fuck, I can't believe you would stab me, David. Well, somebody getting stabbed, say they died, right? Like yeah. the victim of a stabbing, and the prosecution wants to use that because they, you know, the witness overheard this other person saying it. Well, they were getting stabbed. That's an excited utterance. It's unlikely they would lie about the identity of the assailant. doesn't mean that necessarily David did it because maybe the person had stuck the identity of the person. But spectral evidence is saying like, oh, I saw the specter of such and such that specter's not showing up to court for you to cross-examine yeah. them and be like, did you really come and tittle that? But this is the thing, also, so the accused, who are mainly women in middle age, old age, but also a handful of men, who mostly were accused because their wives were accused, but, um... Well, they're in league with the devil. Yeah, so, they are present in court and stuff and everything the afflicted girls say is taken as bible uh-huh. and everything the accused say to try to defend themselves as seen as the devil trying to play tricks so them. yeah it's all because of religious connotations exactly. well and it's not even religious as much as it's a belief in the supernatural mm-hmm. and it's i mean that's well, the, for them it's it, the that went with their religion at the time sure yeah but i think it's also the fallacy of you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty and 
oftentimes if people are accused of heinous things like and it fits a narrative then we believe it like we're more like you know what i mean it's it's hard to be naturally unbiased and not make a judgment until you hear everything these were people looking for an answer to their troubles yeah and they were in panic and that and that and that leads me to my next thing which is this is hands down a hundred percent all those factors really add to it but they were the catalyst for what is textbook mass hysteria, psychogenic illness. Um, Love that. These girls, well, I do believe there was falsity to some of them. Um, I believe their initial affliction was absolutely real to them. They were having physical symptoms and that, they, were psychosomatic. that were psychosomatic. I don't believe they were faking everything. I do believe some girls did and maybe later down the line one of the articles i read was great which was once the first woman was executed there was no saying oops i lied like once that happened you were locked in we're going with this yeah um you stick to your narrative you stick to your stick narrative to your yeah um but it also was kind of transparent and we can see it on reflection today that like someone would be like this person's a witch and then their sister would be like she's not a witch and they'd be like you're also a witch so it was just kind of like a crazy <laughs> shit am i i don't know <laughs> it was it was really really nuts so i think all those together really spurred mass hysteria and i was doing some assignments online and one of them was like describe mass hysteria and we did that awesome mass hysteria episode like a few months ago and i was like here's a, a year ago a, was it a year ago well almost Holy shit, have we been doing this for a year? Yeah, over. Um, yeah. No, October will be, what? No, 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 that was when we started posting. Oh, shit. Yeah, because we started this before we I went to Japan, so it's over a year. Happy anniversary, Motel Hell! Oh, we should drink tonight. We should! I actually have a punch crack. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to smoke it. I'm ready to fucking fly on that witch's room, buddy. Yeah. Okay, WB. so... We understand the factors that led us to the trials. Yes. Let's talk about some of the key players. Here. I can't wait to talk about the the legacy and all the films and books mm. and stuff. Who doesn't love the Crucible? So I do want to talk about it because um, I do like Arthur Miller. Because I'm a nerd girl. You're nerd nerd theater girl. Yeah, I am. Um, he also fucked Marilyn Monroe, so. They could be like, he also fucked me. Yeah, and I'd be like, Alexa? Really? <laughs> so, Can um, you call him? Can we get him on? Or? I'm, I know a lot of the key players off the top of my head, but let's, let's talk about well, where, let's give their real names. Let's talk about where the affliction started. So, what we see is that the first girls who are afflicted are of higher status. Now, when you say afflicted, you mean the people who are doing the accusing? Yeah, I should probably say that afflicted is the word they used for the girls who were being tortured by witches. There's a great scene in that horrible Kirstie Alley movie that my professor made me watch where, and this might even be fact because it was pretty historically accurate, um, where someone's like, they're possessed, and they're like, no, they're not possessed, they're afflicted. And I tried to do some research on why are we using the term afflicted? Like, where did that come from? My best hypothesis, because there was no literature on it, was that afflicted possibly lended the girls more credence in the sense that it's a more sympathetic term than possessed, especially in those times. Possession, you could be accused of leaving yourself open to. Affliction sounds like someone is hurting you. Yeah, well, yeah. And, uh, and affliction is like... <clears throat> 
a cancer is an affliction. Right. And and it's it's something that that like you it's almost okay, so like a witch will curse somebody, mm-hmm. right? So if you're cursed, you're afflicted with that curse. Mm-hmm. It's like it, and a lot of uh things that witches supposedly did back then had to do with like sickness and famine and mm-hmm. casting things like that which famine or sickness would be an affliction well and it also removes responsibility or anything from it in the sense of like you know an afflicted person doesn't choose to be afflicted yeah. like if you describe yourself as an afflicted drug addict it's more sympathetic than saying somebody who's sick with or suffering from yeah. it's like it's yeah it's that was possible exactly what political I was thinking. language yeah it's, it's political language so <laughs> What does an affliction look like? Screaming. Diarrhea. Throwing things around the room. Diabetes. Uh, uttering strange sounds. Crawling under fur- furniture. Contorting themselves into pe- uh, peculiar positions. Sounds like my Friday night. Right? Stole that, I was about to say. And, and let me say this right now. I hate witches. <laughs> I hate witches and they should burn! From a feminist perspective... This is hot. I was ready to go... <laughs> this is hot. I was ready to go into this class... I went into this class with the notion that this was a condition of the patriarchy, man, and they were just coming down on women because they were trying to be independent, and and, and they wanted the man spread and man cutting up women. And it one, Tales it's women accusing women. Two, like it wasn't a thing that like men were the head of the household and women were subservient to men. Like that was the time everybody was cool with it. That was God's law. <laughs> Everyone was super cool. Yeah, with it. and it, it it was just like no one was really upset about it. Um, it's mostly women accusing women. You know, women were accused more than men, but men weren't accusing. Them. Well, I mean, and again, if it's mass hysteria, then you're talking about something that, you know, it's a it comes from a crockpot, a, a, a cauldron, oh. if you will, a cauldron of factors boiling over. But you can't. It's not rational in the sense of it's not like. A mass hysteria happening isn't a rational event. It's an irrational behavior by a group of people during, you know, irrational times. Yeah. And that's why you don't really have that many mass hysterias these days, or at least not in the way that, like, we had dancing plagues in fucking Salem witch trials. Yeah, no, they're not as crazy as they used to be now. It's no. just, like, swine flu. And I mostly got that idea because of that creepy history professor I had yeah. who told me it was that. Yeah. And then I took this class and I was like, you are not only creepy, but you're teaching people lies. So well, I think not every professor is a professor <laughs> of history. Sometimes people have ideas because I'm sure he was taught that, and he's you know, a, he had a master's degree in I mean, oh yeah, history. he was a history yeah. professor. Yeah, so he's a fucking idiot. He was an idiot. And yeah. Fuck that guy. Name him. No, I'm not going to. But Put him on blast. Super, super creepy. I got the switchblades in there. Very out of turn comments. Anyway, so Muslims are looking lovely today. This <laughs> this started with <laughs> booty is downright witchy. <laughs> Though I did talk about how witch has sort of been reclaimed in modern time by yeah, feminists by to like eight-year-olds. To I mean, eighteen-year-olds by the feminist population to sort of mark an independent, strong woman. Like witchy is a very th- a thing that's said, and yeah, you know. I mean, it's also in a lot of sweet hentai. Yeah, and charmed. Yes, also charmed. Yeah, charmed. So don't even front. Charm's a good show, and they're no, I wasn't fronting at all. I was I was echoing you with extra derision. Oh, fair enough. So the main thing was they're being pinched or pricked with pins. They were going kind of crazy in church. 
But what happened was this originated in the Paris household, which is no fucking surprise to me as Samuel Paris was under an extreme amount of stress and constantly preaching about Satan. So the fact that his daughter and his niece would be the first afflicted makes a lot of sense to me. Well, and it's also, you figure he's on high alert to make a show of it, Mm -hmm. but also they're probably doing it because they're being neglected as shit since he's busy trying to like run Salem Village. They're probably bored. And the way it's depicted in the Kirstie Alley movie is... One, smoke a bunch of salvia. one of the girls ah, oh. goes nuts because her dad is paying more attention to like a dog than he is to her, and that's when she starts to be afflicted. I'm sure that's not historically accurate at all, but well, that, I mean, that, that good though. Yeah. That doesn't actually shock me. I'd rather pay attention to my dog than my shitty 13 year old or whatever. So it starts with higher status girls, and it moves down in the ranks. So it starts with Abigail. so we're ranking people based on wealth now. Yes, in this society. Society. American um, society. See what we did there? Yeah. I got the getter. This episode would be ten minutes if I didn't constantly interrupt. Yeah, they'd also be less funny. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then after her is Ann Putnam Jr., higher status girl, um, and then. Uh, Ann Putnam Sr., her mother, begins to be afflicted. So this was started by bored white girls. Yes. Shocker. Um, and then lower class girls start to follow. I'm sorry, bored rich white girls. Yes. I'm not against women, I'm against rich So people. the servant, uh, Mercy Lewis, she was a servant of George Burroughs, who was the minister before Paris. She starts to become afflicted. Elizabeth Hubbard also becomes afflicted. She's a servant girl. Mary Walcott is of a higher status family. She lived next door to the Putnam, so it makes sense. Um, So basically, while this is all starting, Abigail and Paris start acting weird in the house. So before telling anyone, Paris brings in a doctor. He's like, my daughter and my niece are wilding the fuck out. We need to figure out what's wrong with them. So they bring in Dr. Griggs. Do you think it's Flocka? Excuse me? The drug? Or or bath salts. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's bath salts? There is, let me just say this, up top, there is the rumor that it was diseased rye that possibly made them hallucinate. It's called, um, I can't remember, ergotism? Yeah. E-R-G-O-T-I-S-M? Ergotism. Yeah. Um, that's like trip. spoiled rye. But that theory has really been disproven in a lot of ways because not only you do see hallucinations and stuff like that, but you also shit your pants, you throw up, and like none of the girls had any of those symptoms. Yeah, it's like taking super mushrooms. Yeah, plus it's like everybody ate the fucking bread. Well, we also covered this in our Mass Hysteria episode uh, during uh, the Dancing Mania section. Yeah. Where they thought it was the ergot and hallucinations. Yeah, that's a theory for a lot of weird Mass Hysteria stuff, which has some credence, but most of the time not really. Yeah, I read a really great scholarly article that made a case for it, and I still was like, it's not adding up for me. So I, that's never in my list of, like, important factors. I don't think that was a thing. So, Parrish brings in Briggs, and he checks the girls out, and he can't find anything physically wrong with him. And he's like, Witchcraft. He's like, this seems like a case of witchcraft. Oh, witchcraft. I read about that in my medical book. So you've got ghosts. You were the devil. You've got ghosts in your blood. Yeah. Do cocaine about it. So Tichibat. Woo, my girl. She is Paris's slave from when he lived in Barbados. He brought her back with her. Okay. She is most beautiful, notably uh, <laughs> depicted as black. She's 
most likely Indian from Barbados, so natives to Barbados. Um, native Barbadian. Yeah. So she More like Barbadian. She's no. the first accused. And she's been known to like fool around with the girls with fortune telling. Oh. So this is like where they would take they would take an egg and they would break the yolk in a glass. I'm just gonna let you guys finish. What are we doing? You good? <laughs> For now. Yeah, okay. So they would break a yolk, an egg in glass, and swirl it around and like kinda like reading tea leaves, like whatever shape it went into. Do you that actually was try the fortunes? Yeah. So she fooled her. the girls loved her. She was like, you know, foreign and all this different shit, but she wasn't like Nefarious. Nefarious in any way. She also um, wasn't allowed to leave. Yeah. So she had to make her could. Before any of the accusing happens, Mary Sibley, who is, God, I, I can't remember. She's, I think she's married to Thomas Putnam's brother. I'm pretty sure, but she was of high standing. She bakes this thing called a witch cake, mm. which she was essentially trying to practice good magic. So basically what she does is she bakes this cake with the urine of the afflicted girls and then they feed it to a dog, a familiar of the devil. And the theory is that the dog will be bewitched and tell them who's afflicting the girls. Right. Right. Talking dog from right. PK. Exactly. Cool thing. Right. I'm on 110 percent Let's do it. Right. Why don't we pee in more cake? I don't know. When you guys get a dog, we gotta try this. Yeah. And it would counteract the spell put on them. She asked Tituba and her husband, who is just known as John Indian, that's it. Okay. I'm sure they couldn't pronounce his name. Yeah. They're like, you're John Indian, to help her. And they're not, they don't even think about it. They're like, yeah, we'll help you out. Like, they're not like, oh, I know all about this. They're, Mary Sibley literally brings it to them. What, 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 so what do they call like, you? No, we don't like that. We're going to call you John Indian. <laughs> that's easy. That rolls off the tongue. So Paris finds out about this and he is pissed off that any man is not okay. He holds Mary Sibley up to ridicule in church is like, may God have mercy on your soul and you need to repent. Like any form of this is not okay. He really humiliates her. But their affliction doesn't go away. So they're pressured by ministers and towns. Did they do it though? What? The cake. Oh, yeah, they did the whole cake thing. Oh, okay. Nothing. But it didn't work. Didn't is, work. is Tichuba, like, locked up at this point? Or? No. Tichuba, no. Tichuba's out free. She's baking. So, they're just afflicted and nothing has happened yet. It's yeah. just these two girls. Yeah. So, they're pressured. Everyone's sort of pressuring the girls, and they're under the assumption it's witchcraft. And they're basically like, who afflicted you? Who afflicted you? Who afflicted you? And, and they're just, like, rolling around, screaming... Like that's what's happening. Yeah, they're contorting their bodies. They're they're having like Tourette's like symptoms. And like not only was this a time where children were to be seen and not heard, that uh, females especially were supposed to just like chill and and like fly under the radar. Butter. Yeah. So the fact that they're like screaming, <laughs> they're like they're they're pressuring them. So Elizabeth Betty Paris, Betty Paris as she's known, is like it's tissue butter. It's Tichuba. Tichuba's the one who's afflicted me. That's a real jerk move. She tries to help you and yeah. shit all over. So then, shortly after, they accuse Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. And these are the first three that are accused. Um, Sarah Good is... And I read a great article on, you know, like, the gender perspective on why certain people were accused. Because to be masculine at that time was to be strong, quiet, non-aggressive, 
reliable. Um, it sort of like wasn't this hyper masculinity that we know of today. Yeah. You know, to be a woman was to be pious and calm and loving. And so Good was a homeless beggar who had a husband and a four-year-old daughter, um, but she was known to like beg for food, come to people's houses, ask to sleep there. Um, if they would like turn her away, she'd mutter shit under her breath. Like, can I sleep here? Yeah. Um, so she had a bad reputation, and they were like, obviously, like that's an easy target. Sarah Good. Yeah. Sarah Osborne rarely attended the church, so they believe she was accused because she had her own selfish, uh, selfish interest in mind. She married an indentured servant, all this <gasps> weird shit. So the town... She didn't. Yeah. So those are the first three accused. This is kind of a rough estimation, but between 60 and 90 people were accused. Like, it was a shit ton of people that were accused. Um, I highlighted all of it, and then I just stopped, because I was like, this is too many people. There's there's a few we know a lot about. George Burroughs was accused, the old minister. He was known to be, you know, like, abuse his spouse. Um, they grilled him and were like, when's the last time you took communion? He couldn't remember. He admitted all his children had not been baptized. So they were all like, oh shit, you're into some witchy shit. Toast the dumb. Um, so they start accusing these girls that are, these, these women that are like, make sort of sense to accuse. And then they start accusing uh, different people. So, so they're pretty much like, what about Sarah? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. She, she didn't come to my wedding. Fucking cunt. She RSVP'd, didn't show. Extra plate. Fuck that bitch. And then uh, Car- Carly came to the wedding, but she didn't even bring a card. Yeah, no gift. No, no. gift from Carly. Don't care for Carly. No. And what's the one with the big nose? Kind of Jewy looking? Uh, Shia? Shia? Is that how it's pronounced? She's got a lot in her. I think, I think she's her a Her name's witch. Heather. Heather? Yeah. That sounds witchy. Yeah. Isn't that some kind of like... Like, Heather, uh, yeah. heathen, yeah. heathen, witch, witch, devil. Case closed. Okay, so at this point, I believe... At what point is that? What month are we... So we are in February right now. Still February? This is happening fast. Yeah. Um, 60 people already down the drain. Let me just... They're just accused. So in just... one month, they went from afflicted to... To accusing. So John Hawthorne... Is one of the magistrates and Jonathan Corwin. So they're two head guys who are just sort of like doing the initial examinations on the afflicted. By magistrate, you mean he's employed by the British government? I, I don't think he is. I, I think he's employed. He's just like a servant of Salem at this point. Or a servant of Massachusetts colony or something. Yeah, civilian officer. Okay. Deals with minor offenses, holds preliminary hearings, all okay. that different stuff. So they examine Tichuba, Saragut, and Sarah Osborne for witches' teats. So they bring them into the courtroom. Witches' teats. Yeah. So what this is is supposedly a place on their body where they can feed their familiar. Okay. Well, That's fucking yeah. awesome. That being said, there was not a lot of education in this time. So dry skin, rashes, weird moles. We're all well, interpreted. It is pretty easy to say it's just my eczema, but when you think about what a witch's teeth really is, yeah. if it's a hole in your body, all it takes is a pinprick. So, Listen, if I blood. could, I would feed my cats from my witch's teeth. I know you That's would. weird. No, I think that's cool. It's I, beautiful. I wish I could give birth to a cat. That's gross. Yeah, or a dog. Be like so much cooler than having a baby. It's like the reverse of the omen. Yeah. Instead of the dog giving birth to a kid, you're giving birth to a yeah. dog. And it's a puppy. <laughs> so 
this is humiliating. These are like God-fearing women. They bring them into church. They strip them. They do this like during mass. Is this the homily? The, this is not done in front of a crowd. It's not public. No, but they um, they're searching them. So under all this pressure, Tichuba is like, okay, fuck this. Sure, I'm a witch. I'm a witch. She confesses. What are they gonna do to me? Right. So she confesses under and what what they believe is that she was like i'm not a witch i'm not a witch she went home paris beat the ever-loving shit out of her and then she came back and was like actually i changed my mind i'm a witch so you think she was like i'm totally a witch and looks back at paris like can i eat again please yeah because i don't know that any of this would have taken off of tichuba because tichuba first was like i'm a witch and sarah good and sarah osborne they're also witches we're all witches in this together a coven yeah so she is saying that they are riding on brooms together, they are, you know, sailing off to meet a man in Boston, a white man. She mentions him as being white, which was not the interpretation of the devil at the time. Not that they are ascribing race to him. He was red, right? He was black. <gasps> but he wasn't like, he was like, like a demon. Yeah. Like fully, it wasn't like skin color. It was like- For the record, I'd like to first. say that Alexa's yeah. moving her arms around in claw-like motions. Uh, fun fact, something that I learned, uh, I don't know, maybe last, last year, two years ago, um, they believe that one of the things that riding broomsticks came from was, uh, free-spirited women who would, uh, ingest hallucinogens, and the way that they chose to do it, well, they would put it on the end of a broomstick and put it up their puss. Yeah, you because mentioned it was, this two episodes. Look it up. Look it up. Yeah, no, we got it. We got it. Yeah. I'm hoping next time we record, That's you also badass. I want to hang out with those chicks. I hung out they with those chicks, down. and they're they're like they don't know when to stop. Sometimes enough is enough. So shortly after this, Ann Putnam Jr. starts showing affliction symptoms. At this point, it's like you know they accuse people, and then other girls are like, "Oh, I'm afflicted too. I'm afflicted too." A lot of these servant girls had horrible PTSD. Like, their villages and parents have been killed by Indians. That's why they ended up as servants. And so it kind of makes sense that they were, like, grasping for a way to express something. Yeah. Well, it was also, you know, yeah. making them probably feel important being <laughs> at the, on the quote-unquote good end of all these trials. Yeah. So what ensues, and I'm not going to go through every second of it, is it's literally like Ann Putnam Jr. accuses this person of a witch. Abigail Williams accuses this person of being a witch. So-and-so accuses... Like, it's just like everybody starts to get fucking accused. Do we like Tiffany? Or does she seem witchy to you? She's kind of a bitch. She's kind of a bitch, right? I think fucking she's a witch. I swear to God. And honestly, Jessica, the way she keeps her hair, like, so silky and smooth, I think... Honestly, I think she uses the devil. Right? And she's kind of ugly, and Jeffrey was totally eyeing up her ankles the other day. Yeah. 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 A few more notable people are accused. People that are like, oh, shit. So they, Cuba Gooding Jr. They, that would be awesome. Um, they accuse this woman, Rebecca Nurse, of being a witch, and she is, like, known in the village as being, like, the most pious and godly woman. Like, she's an upstanding member of the church. She comes from a good family. She does, and people are outraged. So a lot of people signed a petition for her. 
Uh, so just good thing petitions work. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Witchcraft business. Yeah, but it's not thing. slowing anything down. Yeah. Um, so they all are, just... Are they locking people up at this point? Yeah. So they're they're grabbing people for examinations, charging them, throwing them into jail. Rebecca Nurse, I, I know the most about because I did uh, a profile on her today, but she was um, basically brought in and they... They weren't allowed to have lawyers accused witches. Obviously, they could be witch their lawyers. Exactly. So, Rebecca Nurse, they make a 39-person petition to get her out of jail. They have the whole trial and everything. The verdict is not guilty, right? So, as soon as they're like, Rebecca Nurse is not guilty, all the girls start having fits in the courtroom. They're freaking out. She's bewitching us. She's coming at me. She's picking me with friends. So, the judge, which was not a common at the time, turned to the jury and said, would you perhaps like to reconsider? So what they do is they ask Rebecca, who's 71, sick, very hard of hearing, because she had said in an earlier statement, I'm one of them, um, meaning she was one of the women in jail, but it was interpreted as I'm one of the witches. So they ask her to clarify the statement. She can't hear shit. What? So she just sits you there. You want me to... What? Yeah. She sits there silently. Two and a half. And when she doesn't answer, they're like, never mind, guilty. She's a witch. She's definitely a witch. Um, so then they get Governor Phipps himself to pardon her. Phipsy. And then some guys from Salem Village are like, she's definitely a witch, bro. And he's like, okay, never mind, unpardoned. Like, so it was just like fucking mayhem. Free for all. And this is a woman who had a lot of credibility on her side. So for the poorer women, they're getting none of that shit. Yeah. Like, they're just... She's got a lot of support. Most of them are kind yeah. of fucked. So her sister stands up for her, and her sister, both of her sisters are accused of witchcraft. One ends up dying as well. Um, now, let me ask you this. Yes. I'm imagining that Salem Village's jail, are, is this where they're jailing them, or they're villaging them in, uh, or jailing them, rather, in Salem Town? They were doing it in the village. So I think that the, the village jail must have been, like, two cells before mm-hmm. the witch trials, right? So they just cramming a shitload of. Is this like the origin of like, like hot, jail, jail porn? Like women, like steamy jail. No, but I mean like seriously. I'm, like I can't imagine the jail is equipped to handle the amount of prisoners they have, right? No, so it's like it doesn't. Deplorable and conditions in the extreme. It's definitely overflowing. There, there was a picture I saw of the dungeon itself, and it was not. Oh, oh there was a dungeon. dungeon? Yeah. Best jail. Yeah. Oh, cobblestone. So a bunch of people are getting accused. Bridget Bishop, Abigail Hobbs, Giles Corey, Mary Easter, um, Sarah Morty, Lindia Dustin, Susanna Martin, Dorcas Hoare. Wait, what was that one? Dorcas Hoare. H-O-A-R. Dork Hoare. Dork Hoare. Um, it should also be noted that... What's your new nickname, Dick Fetty? Dork Hoare. Um, Dorothy Good child of Sarah Good was fucking four years old and was accused of witchcraft. The devil she takes was, many forms She was and many questioned ages. by the magistrates and her answers were construed as a confession that implicated her mother. Who was afflicted? Who was, no, her mother was, was, accused. was accused. One of the first accused. Ah. So these magistrates are questioning a four-year-old girl. Oh, I thought you said she was a 40-year-old. No, four. Four. How old was her mother? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. So, they established this thing called the Court of Oyer and Terminer. And I'm sure that was good. No. Oh, shit. Um, did they wear sick robes? They did. 
Yes. Everybody wore So they right? convened in Salem Town, and this is on June 2nd, um, and Bridget Bishop was the first case brought to them. Um, so they basically created a special court to try all these cases. Like, this had never been a thing before, and then they were like, this is now a thing. Try all these witch cases. So Bridget Bishop was brought in. She was known around the village as wearing, like, black clothing and, like, not really attending church. And she came in, and she had, like, a, a rip in her jacket. And they were like... Did the She's a witch! Yeah, they basically were like, it seems like the devil cut your coat when you were, like, talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, uh, it's just a rip. And they were like, no, I'm pretty sure that's what the devil would say. Well, I have a question, because mm -hmm. it's portrayed a lot in, like, a lot of, like, these period pieces. So not everyone just wore black all the time? Like, black and white? No, it was not like normal for them to wear black huh yeah interesting cool so that along with her immortal lifestyle affirmed to the jury that she was a witch she, she went drank to, on sundays she went to trial the same day and was convicted and she made her husband pull out once then on june 3rd in my mouth <laughs> so she was the first tried and convicted and she sentenced to die on june 2nd how did they sentence like what was her death penalty what do you mean what was her means of execution uh hanging at Gallows Hill. Which and is where's Gallows Hill? Uh, I think they found the actual location of it, but I, le I believe it's in the village. And <laughs> probably on a hill. I have a question. So a lot of like these quote-unquote witch tests didn't take place during these trials? Like they weren't? So they did. They had a few tests. Okay. Um, a lot of it was based on the spectral evidence, these testimony from the afflicted. Um, That's not a test. But they also had tests. The biggest one that I heard of throughout my readings were the touch tests. Ooh. Um, so essentially... Oh, yeah, she feels like a witch, all right. I feel She's witching my... So, um... Uh, Daft Punk soundtrack to the touch <laughs> test. It should also be noted that before the... Um, Court, and Oyer, Oyer, Court of Oyer and Terminer started seeing stuff. Cotton Mather, uh, one of the respected previous ministers from another town, wrote the judges and said, do not lay more stress on pure spectral evidence than it will bear. It is very certain that the devils have sometimes represented the shapes of persons not only innocent, but also very virtuous. Though I believe that the just God then ordinarily provides a way for the speedy vindication of the person thus abused. So he's basically like, guys, I, would, I wouldn't take the spectral evidence stuff um, too seriously. Yeah, but he no, still falls back on the old yeah. excuse of, but so, God will tell you, and if he doesn't say anything, then you can hang. But he also said, and then I think another judge or one of the governor's people were like, can you not rely too heavily on spectral evidence, but also sort of move this along? So then they did the touch test, which would be if they would sit you down and they'd make you listen to Daft Punk's touch and if you didn't dance you were a witch I that yeah that's it oh what what is the touch so test? if the accused witch touched the victim while the victim was having a fit and the fit stopped observers believe that meant that the accused was the person who had afflicted the victim good test that doesn't seem like you could accurate in any concrete. way Misconstrued or manipulated? Manipulated. So yeah. they didn't do any of the that like dunking them in water and if they yeah. Where's that water floating test? Yeah, uh, that's for eggs, right? You put them in if they're old, they sink. If they're they're fresh, they float. There was none of that. The first executed was Bridget Bishop. She's hung. Mm. 
for Ag He Alice said Hill. he was hung, and they was right. Shortly after that, um, Roger Toothaker dies in prison. On um, July 19th, Rebecca Nurse, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howe, Sarah Good, and Sarah Wiles are all hanged at Gallows Hill. Hanged? Hanged. Hung. Hung. So at this point, people are like, fuck. So Tichuba, still not executed. Do we have any reason, maybe, key witness. why she wouldn't have been executed? Key witness. You say key witness. What do you say, Ben? I was I was looking up whether it was hung or hanged. And she's Paris's servant, right? It's hanged. What were you saying? Why wouldn't Tichuba have been executed? Uh, because she's, for lack of a better term, property, no. right? No. And no to yours. What? She confessed. She confessed, and they believed they could rehabilitate her. So then everybody starts realizing, oh shit. <laughs> If we confess, we're gonna not be killed. However, to confess to being a witch in Puritan times is like to make yourself pariah. To make for yourself a pariah for the rest of your fucking life. And there are so many women that were not gonna do that. That were like, you know, hang me, hang me. I'd rather be hung than have my whole life ruined by admitting that I'm a witch. It is hanged. Thank you. You were right the first time. Thank you. I felt like I didn't know that. You hung a picture. You hanged a person. So, um, people are getting killed. Left and right. Also um, up and down. So, this is going on. Oh, the, the, the first execution is in June. And then this goes on until, you know, through September. So, in September, Giles Corey, he's the most interesting case. So, he, and I, I wish I knew more about him. Um, but he was a male that was accused and he refused to confess, refused to confess, refused to confess. So they were going to try and get a confession out of him. And a method that is called penne fort et deux, that's a French word for it. Which means they just force feed him penne pasta until he confesses. That's it. Now, what they do is they slowly pile rocks on him until he confesses. Whoa. So he is pressed to death. He eventually dies because of the weight on top of him. Death by a rock blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like a very uh they still do that in the uh Saudi Arabian shit, right? But they still do the stone crushings. Uh, I know they do stonings, but I think that that's like a very Middle Eastern they have all those good brutal executions out there. One of my favorite American dad jokes is uh the daughter and American dad, they're in Haley. They're in another, yeah, Haley. They're in another country, and he's like, What, do you want to get stoned? And she's like, Oh my god, yes, it's been so long. <laughs> when they're in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, the trials are fucking mayhem. The entire public is allowed to attend, along with the afflicted girls who are just freaking the fuck out the whole time from being afflicted, being afflicted. So, this goes up until September 1692. And here's what brings it all to a close. Ann Putnam Jr., I believe, accuses the wife of Governor Phipps of being a witch. And Governor Phipps is like, this seems like it's gotten a little out of hand. (laughs) We've had our fun. We've had our fun, proving to me that times have not changed very much. 
So I'll briefly read you what happened after that. So president of Harvard during this time. Mm-hmm. You have to say it like someone who's gone to that school. Harvard. President of Harvard and the father of Cotton Mather, who's a previous minister from another town, denounces the use of spectral evidence. Then Governor Phipps orders that spectral evidence no longer be admitted in witchcraft trials. And then Phipps prohibits further arrest and releases many of the accused witches and uh, dissolves the court of Oyer and Terminer. Then in November, the general court establishes a superior court to try the remaining witches. Um, then in January, the judge of that court orders execution of all suspected witches who were accepted by their pregnancy. So he kills them all. Sarah Good is one of those women. Sarah Good was killed on July 19th, um, but her execution was staged. She would have been killed with Bridget Bishop, but she was pregnant. So they let, let her have her baby in a jail cell, who then died, and then they hung her. Yeah. So, um, January 1693, 49 of the 52 surviving people brought into court on witchcraft charges are released because their arrests were based on spectral evidence. Do they, spectral they, do they sue on the grounds of malicious prosecution? Later in that month, Tichuba is released from jail and sold to a new master. In May of 1693, Phipps pardons everyone that's in prison still on witchcraft charges. Um, Paris is ousted in 1697. So in 1706, Ann Putnam Jr., who had been chronically ill after the years after the trials, who was one of the main accusers, stood up before her congregation and said, I desire to be humbled before God for that sad and humbling providence that befell my father's family in the year about 92, that I, then being in my childhood, should, by such a providence of God, be made an instrument for the accusing of several people for grievous crimes, whereby their lives were taken away from them, whom now I have just grounds and good reason to believe they were innocent persons. She also takes, you know, uh, special consideration to the fact that um, she killed Rebecca Nurse and her two sisters. Quote, I desire to lie in the dust and to be humble for it, and that I was the cause with others of so sad a calamity to them and their families, for which I cause, I desire to lie in the dust and earnestly beg forgiveness of God, and from all those unto whom I have given just cause of sorrow and offense, whose relations were taken away or accused. So... It's a surprising amount of responsibility she takes. I would have expected something more weak Yeah, and this is why I believe a lot of it was psychogenic illness, but also... These are like godly people who really believed they would go to hell. And I'm sure she had tons of time to reflect and was like, if I don't repent for my role in this, I'm definitely going to hell. Um, I think it's interesting she specifically apologizes for Rebecca Nurse, probably because Rebecca Nurse was the most upstanding citizen at the time. But it's it's fascinating. that It all happened so fucking fast. So in the end, 19 were hung. Giles Corey was pressed to death. Um, five died in prison and then two infants also died in prison. So you got a death toll of 19, 1, 20, 25, 27 people. Damn. Yeah, yeah considering like 60 to 90, what did I say, were accused? Could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah but to do it that quick, that's yeah, awful. To do it very, they did it very quickly. It was like tried, convicted, hung within the week. Nice. So it's fucking fascinating. I, I love this class. I love all the scholarly shit we're reading. It's like really well researched and 
well done and I have yet to get to the section on the legacy but I'd love to hear what you guys think about the legacy well we watched the witch so we know it's true <laughs> that witches are real but I think I mean I guess so being American citizens the three of us we have and being all from the east coast at least for me and I mean granted having been to Salem a bunch of times having family up in, in Massachusetts the Salem witch trials is something I've been hearing about since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. I've been growing up in Kansas. Like, mm -hmm. it is, it's one of, like, the quintessential Halloween-esque type mm -hmm. original horror tales that you hear about. And then, you know, when you're in middle school and high school, you start to hear about it as a metaphor for any kind of, quote-unquote, witch hunt and all the rest. And it sort of yeah. stands for a bunch of different things. But I guess it's, like, it's one of the most, not, not deeply well-known, but... Uh, generally well-known eras in American history, mm -hmm. especially as far as anything pre-1776. It's probably the only thing anybody could say, not that they would even know that it happened then, because most people are fucking idiots and public education in this country is a goddamn joke. But, you know, and then it, and I guess the legacy is that it's a stand-in now for when mass hysteria takes hold in a, in a real sense of what mass hysteria actually is mm -hmm. like this, Versus, you know, the communist scare in the 40s, 50s, 60s, like McCarthy era, like that, those type of witch hunt and witch trials, which weren't mass hysteria and the true psychogenic illness, or probably not to the level of this, and yeah. it was more of a political, but also a hysterical era in the period where, in many ways, we sort of associated the same almost supernatural powers with alleged communists as we would have with witches back then. I, I was actually talking to your mother about this, and she would tie it directly back to Jim McCarthy because that whole, you know, uh, what was the panel that Joe McCarthy led? Oh, in Congress or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but he accused, like, a really high up government official's wife. Yeah. And that's when they were like, uh, you might Yeah, when they were this. blacklisting actors yeah. and doing all that stuff. It and, was no yeah. big deal. Yeah. But when they accused someone's what and it was like she was like it's an identical thing where they accused someone in power and it was immediately like shut down. That was the end of it. So Yeah, it's and it's interesting how much it's it's gone into um, like pop culture. Mm -hmm. Even not even just from like a strictly like car sense like the witch or the craft or horror movies, but like Harry Potter, mm -hmm. you know, um, and like there's plenty of other things that I've enjoyed that involve witches, and they talk about the Salem witch trial. Even in Harry Potter, they discuss about why they hide underground because of like the witch trials. Yeah. And in Fantastic Beasts, they talk about um, the New Salemers. I think they call them. Mm -hmm. uh, fun story. Uh, when I was in high school, I dated a girl. It was a witch. No, 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 no. Well, her, she was. She, she thought she was very Catholic, and then we dated. But <laughs> she was friends with this girl who lived across the street from her, whose family was so religious that she was not allowed to read or see any of the Harry Potter movies. Wow. So like, it's it's just interesting to me that even in American culture that there are still some people who believe like, oh, it's like an occultist. Yeah, like the, the, that's. That's the devil. Like that's guaranteed. Like the devil is real, and it's it works through these women. And yeah, well, I think it definitely. I guess see, yeah. To me, what's because the the 
the Indo-European, or really, I would even say, it's really kind of a human, there's a human cultural history of the idea of like witches, witch doctors, supernatural, whatever. I mean, it comes from a more primitive man and, and all that. So everywhere from Africa to Central America to Asia or whatever, there's always people who are like more in tune with magic or the, you know, that type of supernatural or however you want to define it and whatever. So it's not just Indo-European, but as far as like the witches we're talking about and like, I think what we all think of and especially the like the cartoonish version of that, you know, this this is a part of that tapestry. But more importantly, like, if you want to talk about legacy of the witch trials, like, in terms of what the witch trials represented and that type of hysteria, that's really the more lasting impact, both in pop culture and generally in our culture. And I think that it, you see its echoes in something like the Satanic Panic of the 80s and the 90s right. that we talk about, which is also woven into a larger... Um, culture in the United States of this still to this day religious fundamentalism you know lack of or fight about separation of church and state mm -hmm. and an overall you know America has a much higher rate of people identifying with a religious body or denomination than almost any other western mm -hmm. country like most other affluent western countries in the world um, well in the west the most of those people do not identify mm -hmm. as being religious. Like, they don't, like, no, nobody believes this shit anymore. But in America, we're still fucking crazy for it. I mean, like, seemingly have regressed into, like, an increasing level of, you know, believable, again, believing in angels mm -hmm. or, or other supernatural shit. <clears throat> and I think that where it matters is there when it's like, when we start to slide into this, you know, we're not going to look at the hard evidence. We're not going to look at the quote-unquote real world. We're going to let magical thinking run our courtrooms, run our morality, run our politics, you know, whatever it is. We're going to put people in jail because of, like, crazy shit or treat people differently because of basically a bunch of crazy, like, supernatural bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the legacy shows up. And Arthur Miller's The Crucible may, may be mandatory reading for a lot of people and sort of be spoiled by that, and then the mediocre movie with what's his face? Um, Salma Hayek. No, it's Winona Ryder and the guy from Taken. Yeah. Liam Neeson. Thank you. Yeah, uh, not the greatest movie, but you know, like sure, that's a that's a part of the legacy. Um, but you know, I think it's I think it's that overall witch trial effector mm -hmm. idea. You know, and any time we start accusing people of stuff because they're in some way different and outsiders and whatever and we seek to execute excommunicate or whatever yeah you know, that's where and it's that's not to say that like this is the first time that ever happened in this country or maybe it was the first time it happened on that scale but it's not like it only ever happened in Salem witch trials like no, human exactly. beings are always looking for a reason to like excommunicate well, I mean, well there was a bunch of really kind of like bad really of, bad witch trials that happened in the UK too you yeah. can tie it into present day this sort of like, and trust me, I'm all about having people come what's due to them, but this PC policing where we're like trying to dig up what people have said and getting them fired and getting them excommunicated and all this different shit is like a similar form of like a new form of hysteria. Um, so it it manifests in different, different ways. Um, also, J Judge Hawthorne, um, one of the people, one of the magistrates, is a direct descendant of Hawthorne, the author, who wrote The Scarlet Letter. So yeah, that's really it. Again, big shout out to Dr. Caputo, who is the shit. 
who organized this amazing class with amazing fucking literature and really good discussion. I don't think I have ever enjoyed a class this much. And maybe it's because I'm only taking one class instead of five, so I can actually, like, read everything. Um, so I'm getting more out of it, but, like, I love every part of this fucking class. Well, I'll say two other things about this. One is, you should... So when I was a kid and I went to Salem, it was really cool because, you know, there's that backdrop of the Salem Witch mm-hmm. Trials, and, like, if there was ever a place that was the abode of the, you know, those who... Uh, communicated with the devil it was Salem and shit like that so like they do Salem town up like crazy mm-hmm. for uh, Halloween and that whole time it's also a traffic nightmare and I'd love to go back now but I also feel like I would probably it would kind of spoil my my old memories my youthful memories and shit um, but I also just sort of barely related but there's a guy Andy Grant who records as the vomit arsonist who's a does a really good death industrial project. He lives in Danvers, and at least I believe he still does. And uh, so, that's cool. He might be in touch with witches. He certainly makes bewitching music. Um, Again, I love the idea that everything I said is bullshit, and there actually just were witches. Yeah, well, and I think that you know, it, it it's a there's a bigger discussion here to be said of if you. If you self-identified as somebody who was a witch in the sense of you were a woman in league with the devil or a person in league with Mm -hmm. the devil, then that's real to you. And then other people believe that the things you're doing are real and have a real effect and all the rest. Like, that's that's why this stuff worked back then. Like, people were able to believe that narrative. Like, that was real. And it wasn't just... I mean, it is subjective, but it was, like, multiple people held the same subjective reality and so all of this was made possible by that and it's not to say that there couldn't have been women who were thinking that they had supernatural abilities or whatever or were engaged in dark magic probably not any of them in this scenario but maybe one or two of them did practice some black I mean the one chick made a piss cake so you know there was enough belief that like some magic happenings or, you know, what they believe to be magic happenings were happening in their, their lives and their realities. Mm-hmm. And I think it overall goes to the general nature of language and culture and, and society where when enough human beings all believe a certain thing happened a certain way or that, like, certain things are possible in a certain way, it is real for those people. Like, you can't take that... No, you can't. That, that narrative away from them right. in the sense of you can't force them... I mean, you can... 1984 is all about forcing people to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5, which is a actually a really good way to sort of think of that in different terms, but is the same kind of overall thing of, like, eventually you can crush people's well enough. But I don't know. It's just, it's, it's why when I talk to people who believe in the supernatural, like, who believe in ghosts or people who believe in the power of magic and all that, like... I understand it from the perspective of if you give certain words in your life specific meaning and then, you know, continue to give them meaning and credence and whatever, like those words have an effect and a power psychologically on you that for another person who doesn't give them that meaning or importance, it doesn't have that effect. So as the outsider, you're like, this is crazy. But for the person who lives that, that's very real for them. And it's, I think the way a lot of people hear people in AA talk about AA structure and belief and whatever 12 step shit higher power stuff it sounds like crazy cold language 
but when you're living it and doing it, it reaffirms itself, and it's like, oh yeah, no, this is all yeah. becomes self-evident. Yeah, and I guess it's, but I I personally you know struggle with like actually believing in any kind of supernatural anything as much as spirituality and higher power stuff. Like I I get how it works from like what I see as a pseudoscientific angle that I take on it, but it's not because it's objectively working I mean it's really just like it, it it's like you know it's just kind of bullshit yeah in the sense of but it is there there's it's yeah anyways I find it fascinating and I can yeah. babble on endlessly but I'm getting pretty inarticulate already so well Ben bring us home what you got so I recently started playing a game right <clears throat> oh, bit, I get it. This is Beardo Ben's Best Buys, by the way. I get it, though. Um, I kind of missed the boat on it for a while, um, but I finally finished God of War. And I was like, yeah, let me throw myself into a fucking 200-hour game or some bullshit. So I went out and I bought The Witcher 3. Oh, that's topical. Uh, no. You still have to buy that. I wild, have some, because the there's a lot of it that's free. Oh. But there's the Wild Hunt, which is like a whole second game, basically, and there's the other one, too. Yeah. But I haven't gotten there yet. I want to get into the meat and potatoes of the game more so first. But if anyone doesn't know, um, The Witcher is based on a series of books from... Help me out here. Poland. Poland. uh, That were very well received in the country. And when President Obama went over there... Uh, I guess like the prime minister or their president or whatever their electoral official is gave him copies of the books. Oh, that's cool. I never played the first two. Never have. Hopefully one day will. Have you? Uh, no, I have them. Uh, the whole reason I haven't played Witcher 3 is because I I said to Weston well, over a year and a half ago now, maybe two years, I'm like, I'm going to beat the first two. And he's like, you don't have to do that. And he's like, you really don't. And I'm like, I'm not playing the third one until I play the first two. <laughs> Because he's been recommending The Witcher games to me for like 10 years now, and I'm dedicated to doing that, but I just, I don't have 500 hours collectively to start in on this endeavor because I'll have to put the rest of my life on hold. Instead, he will just continue to play uh, Yakuza 5 or 4. It's 2. 2. Just over and over again. He's not I've never playing. even beaten it yet. He's not even doing gameplay. He's just hanging out with Chinko parlors. Okay, well, that is true. But I'm also replaying Tokyo Extreme Racer for the umpteenth time. That's the bigger time sink. That's totally fun to play. Don't start new games. Play the ones you have, kids. Yeah, I haven't been Quake 500 times yet. Only 499. But Weston is correct. You do not need to play the other ones. So it's mainly... And I'm not going to go too much into, like, the full story aspects, but it's about a witcher, and witchers are these people who are trained and then given not full supernatural powers, but like they have some magical skill and they're they're trained and then they're they go through rites where they are given these magical powers and it turns their eyes into like cat eyes. Mm-hmm. And essentially what they are are monster killers for hire. Mm-hmm. Now a while ago, and I never played any of them, I tried to play Monster Hunter World and was, and this might be an unpopular opinion, severely fucking underwhelmed. Because I thought it was going to be like researching monsters and then tracking them down and hunting them, and it's not that. It's a Capcom game. It's a Capcom game. Everything a Capcom game. The Witcher 3 
is that. You have to do research on the monsters. You have to go out and get things for potions and magic that will help you defeat these monsters. And the story's built very well because witchers are pretty much pariahs. They're not seen as good people, but they're a means to an end. So a lot through the game, you have to deal with uh, prejudice, prejudice, it's been a long night, prejudice against you for the simple fact that you're a witcher. And it really, your, your decisions in the game really do feel weighted because you can choose to kill somebody off or just demand money or you can choose to be the good Samaritan and be like, you don't owe me anything, like I was just passing by and I helped you. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting dynamic as far as an RPG goes in that because, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't played an RPG in a long time where it felt like my decisions would actually affect the game that much. And the main character, Gerald, is just a sexy hunk of man meat. Yeah. And he's got this rough voice. And he's, he's got all white hair. And I believe I've, I've mentioned Dick Fetty that pretty much any attractive character with white hair in anything, I'm like, I'm fucking on it. Like, to be in, um, in uh, Near Automata. I'm just like the whole time trying to swing the camera around to look up her panties. <laughs> it's super good. But I definitely recommend The Witcher. There's a lot to it, and when you first start it, it can feel kind of overwhelming because there's a lot of mechanics, and they throw them at you very quickly to the point where when I first got into the full game, I was like, shit, how do I fight again? But um, story-wise, it's very good. I accidentally picked it so when you start The Witcher 3, there's like a thing where it's like, um, load as if you have save files from Witcher 2 and Witcher 1. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Maybe it'll give me extra stuff. No, you're supposed to know answers to questions. Um, I did not know the answers to those <laughs> questions or how they would affect me in late game, and I just guessed. Um, Netflix is also making a series. Uh, Harvey Cavill is trying to play Geralt, which makes me mad on a cellular level because I don't think he can do it. He is not rugged. He's not rough. He's Superman. Mm -hmm. But I definitely highly recommend the game. Uh, it will take many hours to play, but it's super enjoyable. The world building is absolutely breathtaking. It's on par with things like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. There's a shitload of lore that's in there. Um, there's a whole war that's happening during this. And if you do want information, there, you can go on YouTube and get like recaps and stuff of the first two games and the storyline. And, and let me let me say this. So a couple things to note. It's it wasn't exactly a sleeper hit, but the first games did well and they offered a lot is my understanding. But like the third game was when the developers were able to like realize their vision from that they had from the beginning. And it was by the end of the year it came out, which I think was two thousand sixteen or I think it was sixteen, but maybe it was even fifteen. Like it was winning Game of the Year, Game of the Year, Game of the Year, and then like has continued to win awards since because like it's now just like everybody, as far as I know, universally claims it's like one of the greatest games ever made. It like, was it the highest selling game ever until God of War came out. Wow. So and God of War just smashes shitload of records. Yeah, yeah, but um, and there was something else I was gonna say, but uh, oh, it's it's basically like. The writing is good. It's not like fucking all the... Morrowind is a great game. Like, Elder Scrolls Morrowind is a great game, but Oblivion and Skyrim, like, 
I know many people have enjoyed thousands of hours in those games, but part of what makes them work is they're so boring in most of the writing that you have to create your own fun stories and do all sorts of crazy shit and whatever, whatever, whatever. Whereas, like, Witcher 3 is really well done. I mean, and they also have a real source material to draw from, which True. is a big difference. I also have an issue with the silent protagonist a lot of the time in, in, in modern games, um, which... It works for a shooter, not an RPG. Even then. Okay, here's my argument, right? I like the first Bioshock, but I fucking love Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Because... But Bioshock Infinite's a better game. Right, but me playing as a character and my low self-worth as a person, I don't care to project myself onto a character. Like, I want to care about my character. I I want there to be a reason for me to build that character and do the right thing or the wrong thing yeah. for that character. I want I want to project myself. It's a power fantasy. It's what video games are. Yeah. I want to project myself on that that character and try to choose what he may do and yeah. really get into the character. But, but you're also talking about a difference between like Bioshock was a story that you went along with, whereas Bioshock Infinite was a story that you were more involved with, and so it made to a degree, but not really. Yeah. Well, I guess we disagree on that, but I I think that there was. A lot more. There was a lot more that was personal to your character in Bioshock Infinite that, like, yeah. m- demanded your character to have some <laughs> kind of character. Whereas in Bioshock, it was like you were you were an empty vessel because you didn't need much. You know the way the story went. You know, and the the the, the prime example of an effective silent protagonist, from my perspective, is Half Life. Like. Half-Life told you a story every other way other than you being involved in it, and it worked in part, and the humor that was occasionally there, well, often there, really well done, was, worked because you were silent, you know what I mean? Like, it was hilarious, it was like, you're this MIT grad pushes a car with a fucking thing in it, and then, like, all hell breaks loose and you're running a gun in. And that is mostly a holdover from games where, like, there was no, no ability to be a character, in shooters at least, like, that wasn't the focus, like, because shooters were came out of like all of the technology oriented game design rather than RPGs which are always or often a step behind as far as technology but we're trying to tell you a story which is why there were text based RPGs when you had like Doom and then Quake and then Half-Life instead. New Doom. Loved New Doom. Yeah. But you know I don't know The Witcher 3 is awesome even if you haven't picked up the and played the old ones I think the old ones were only for PC weren't they? I know the. F- I'm almost positive the first one was the second one, maybe not, but probably only PC two. They're like control wise, you couldn't play it on anything but a PC. Right. So if you haven't played it, you can get the the original game pre owned at GameStop for twenty bucks, and it's a lot of game for twenty bucks. Now they did put out um, the like I guess like ultimate edition or the complete edition or whatever it's called that has all of the DLC, and I think pre-owned goes for like 40 bucks which I can't comment on the DLC because I haven't played it but the the core game itself is good and I would recommend going out just throwing down a 20 that's like an adult one you know yeah and picking it up and if you like it pick up the DLC I've heard good nothing but good things about the DLC my understanding is it's definitely a game where give it 10 hours but if you're not convinced in 10 hours then you're probably an idiot but you know, if you put in the tin, you're going to be down for a hundred. You know, in for right. a penny or in for a pound, in for a penny, in for a pound. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, well, it's a reminder to me to one day eventually play new games. Although I did finally beat Prey the other day, last week. Oh. Yeah. Finally beat the last 45 a, minutes of it. Too bad we don't have a similar gaming system where I could borrow it. Yeah. The ending was disappointing to me. But kind of cool. But kind of disappointing. I like Mario Kart. Well, I have Mario Kart. That's a story-driven game if ever there was So one. come over and I'll beat the living shit out of you. And that is our episode, guys. <laughs> so remember, the Blair Witch is real. <laughs> Stay out of Massachusetts. No, go to Massachusetts. Go to Massachusetts. Massachusetts is cool. The spirit of Massachusetts is the spirit of America. The spirit of the red, white, and blue. The spirit of Massachusetts. Uh, later, nerds. Later. later.